This is episode 128 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The Beauty of the Ombuds. This episode is part of our near daily series during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm really pleased to welcome an old friend back to the program. Selena Schultz is with us today, and we're going to talk about ombudsman programs. And so we've been talking about this topic for a while, and we've finally gotten around to bringing it on to the podcast, and I'm really excited to do that today. I'll introduce Selena. She's a highly experienced conflict and organizational consultant. She has spent over 20 years serving as a mediator, consultant, and coach, trainer, facilitator, and contract ombudsman, which is our topic for today. She has a bachelor's from the University of Nebraska and a JD from the University of Pittsburgh School of Law, and also has master's in law with an emphasis in mediation from Pepperdine, where she's also an adjunct professor and has been teaching there since 2015. So welcome to the show, Selena. Oh, thank you for having me, Jennifer. All right. So let's start with some basics about what an ombudsman program would look like. Yeah. Yeah. So... An ombuds is really a person in the organization whose task is really dispute resolution and problem solving. And it, even though it's within the organization, in a way, it's try, you try and keep it a little bit separate. So um, what an ombuds program, one of the really important things of it is that it looks like it's separate from management. Um, and so even its placement, we like the placement when you have an ombuds office to be someplace where employees can see it and um, it's easy to recognize, but that it's not right next to HR because we really want the idea that it is something separate because it's a much um, less formal process. And so um, that kind of keeping it away from management and there is really important requirements with an ombuds office, too, that it has separate servers, um, that its files are secure. Um, so any paperwork the ombuds office has is kept separate and is under kind of lock and key that only the ombuds um, has access to it. And really, for as far as reporting purposes, the ombuds really should report only to the highest person in the organization, so whether that's the president or the CEO, that's the only place they're reporting. Um, They really are this very informal, private office. A really important piece is that it does not appear as it's part of management because it's not. And for employees to feel safe, um, that's a really important part of setting up an ombuds office. So I notice you're calling it an ombuds office and not an ombudsman. And is that an evolution of the term so that women can hold that role? You know what? I, some offices do still call it ombudsman. I, I shorten it to ombuds. It depends. You'll, you'll find different things. 
be, you'll, you'll find both. Okay. And is the ombuds officer officer paid by the company? Yeah, they are hired by the company. It's a really interesting role. And what's really interesting about it, Jennifer, is it's paid by the company. But if there's issues that happen, what's pretty great is that ombuds have this privilege, this confidentiality privilege that is um, from common law. So they can never be um, called to testify. So the, even though the company pays them, they could never be called by the company to testify against an employee or about an, a situation. So, and really one of the things about an ombuds office too is they're supposed to have access to all the information in the company since they're never in charge of an investigation. And let me just kind of back up a little bit and say what some of their roles are. I think might, that might be helpful for your mm-hmm. listeners uh, because especially if you're somebody in HR or legal, I've, I've talked about ombuds. I remember one time talking to an employment attorney about it and I thought I was going to make him faint. I thought I just thought he, his eyes are just looking at me like, what is this, this crazy role you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> because it's so different. But uh, ombuds is not a reporting office. They never... When you tell an ombuds something, you're never putting the company on notice. So that is a big difference between an ombuds office and an HR office. And so it really um, protects the ombuds. And it also, if you look at their role, is really like how a mediator's role is. Their, their role isn't to find the truth or to be an investigative office. It really is to problem solve. So, but sometimes to problem solve, they need to get information. So they're really allowed to look at HR files, to to look through company things, because one of their tasks too is besides problem solving, is to try and find hot spots in the company. So if they keep getting, um, when people come to the ombuds office, they're called visitors. That's the term ombuds use is visitor. Instead of client or employee, they use a visitor. So when a visitor comes to the office, Um, They really um, need to feel like they're safe. And when the ombuds is trying to help solve problems, they can go and they can look at information and see if they keep getting visitors from, say, the same department with the same kind of complaints. One of the great benefits of having an ombuds is they can report trends up to the CEO or the president and say, you know, you've got a lot of reports about the same kinds of things coming out of this department. That's kind of a hot spot. Basically, you can even track kind of subtle things that are not, you know, maybe they don't rise to the level of harassment, but maybe there's some kind of subtle things. Maybe there's a policy in place that is causing a lot of problems. The ombuds can kind of be an early warning system for the company to see areas that they need to work on, not for the reason of trying to um, have litigation, but really for the reason of trying to make it a better place to work. So I, you know, I look at it like ombuds really are on the side of the culture. It is much less protection of the company and really more, let's make this a good workplace since they're not getting put on notice. So ombuds tend to be, um, much less legalistic than a 
than an HR department would be because they're not concerned about litigation. They're really more concerned about making it a human workplace. Okay, so let's go back to kind of what it looks like physically. So is an ombuds office typically on site or is it better for it to be remote and only by phone or what's the best way to do that? So the majority of ombuds offices are on site. So, you know, there's somewhere, ideally, there's somewhere where employees can see them, you know, they're walking by them, you know, maybe, maybe they're by the lunch, or there's some place where they're very visible. That's, that's how most organizations have them. However, um, what is slowly becoming more and more prevalent is the idea of having a contract ombuds. And that's a lot of the work that I do where you have somebody who the employees can call who's not on site. The big important part of that is that you have made the employees aware, not only aware of the ombuds and the ombuds, if they're not going to be on site, is going to have to make the effort to be at employee events you know, be seen, get a comfort level of trust with the employees. Um, one of the things ombuds often do is offer some some training opportunities. So a lot of times they'll have some touch points with employees and doing either conflict resolution trainings, maybe some soft skill trainings, um, those types of things. And just even the ombuds, you know, attending meetings and things that the company has so um, employees are aware of them. So if they're not going to be on site, they have to really make an effort so employees know that they're there when they have an issue. But I think there's a lot of benefits about having a contract ombuds because that kind of feeling that they're part of management goes away. But I would say probably 95% of ombuds in um, companies are on site. And are most of them paid by contract or are our companies starting to hire their own ombuds? Most of them are paid just as a regular employee. You know, it mm. is in a, a position. There's a lot of big corporations that have very robust um, ombuds offices now. Um, uh, Coca-Cola has a very robust ombuds office. Um, the World Bank has a very big ombuds office. So more and more large corporations are beginning to understand the cost savings of having them because they offer this informal dispute resolution process that prevents litigation and for things, you know, really going to a more formal, expensive process. Um, some of the studies have shown that every, for every dollar spent on an ombuds office, $11 is saved, which is pretty incredible savings. Oh, I would think it might be even more than that. That's why I've been yeah. so enamored with this idea of an ombuds. Well, let, let's do some more uh, basics here. So what are their primary responsibilities? So the primary responsibilities really are to be a resource for employees. And let me just back up and say, you can have an internal ombuds who is really in charge of dispute resolution and problem solving with employees. And then some companies have what they call an external ombuds who actually would do the same um, thing with customers. So you could have either. But I think you're focusing really on the idea for employees. And so really what they offer for employees is when employees have issues, 
they can come to the ombuds office and they can get a couple of things. Sometimes they're just a sounding board. So sometimes it's just a, a confidential safe space for an employee to, to vent issues. And, and sometimes that's all employees need is they just need a safe space to kind of vent out frustrations. The other thing that ombuds do is they do a lot of conflict coaching. So they try and empower employees to have difficult conversations with either coworkers or their manager um, in a way that's really going to be focused on problem solving. So they'll help employees identify their interests and also do some perspective shifting to figure out what um, the manager or other employees' interests might be too um, that maybe the employee hadn't thought about. And so they really empower the employee to go back out and have a different kind of productive conversation. Sometimes they um, will actually do mediations. So sometimes visitor would like them to have some kind of mediation with the other party so ombuds can, can serve in a mediator role. Um, sometimes ombuds can do some very kind of informal uh, problem solving um, with issues such as if an um, employee talks about a manager and how they're um, speaking to them, or maybe, it's, maybe it doesn't rise to the level of harassment, but it's just making them uncomfortable. And if it's a big enough department where the ombuds could be able to have a conversation with the manager without them knowing who, who the visitor was, the ombuds could do that. The ombuds could call in the manager and just have an informal conversation without the manager having any fear that the ombuds is reporting that conversation to um, the CEO or president. The other thing they do is, as I said before, they might talk to the president or CEO about kind of hot spots or areas that seem like they're issues, policies that maybe are being unfairly enforced and the ombuds sees that happening. So if they can report things that are trends without giving away what visitors came and talked to them, the ombuds can be really helpful for the company to create a better culture in just this very informal way. Um, a big part of my work as a conflict consultant I see is that things get very legalistic really fast with HR and you just get so quickly away from problem solving. And the ombuds allows for that richer conversation, um, more complex and subtle, which is, which is great. So, and the other piece they can do is they can do trainings. So they can do trainings on just good conflict resolution skills. They can do some management trainings about how to have difficult conversations. So, um, and those are usually at least once a year, but I know some ombuds offices like to do quarterly trainings with employees. So they're almost, you know, more behavior changes and check-ins to see how people are doing. So um, really all geared towards trying to have a fair, more humane, culture. Music to my ears. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so suppose you're my ombuds and I come see you because my, whatever, my manager is doing something that I don't like and I want to see what you think and if you can help coach me how to handle it. Now, is everything that I tell you confidential? Everything is extremely confidential. That is is um, the number one goal. Of the ombuds is that it's a safe space. So everything is confidential. 
unless you as the visitor ask me to do something. I can talk to you about options. So if I think because it's a big department that I would be able to go talk to your manager about things, um, I might tell you that that's an option. But if you tell me no, then I cannot say anything to that manager. And I wouldn't say anything to the CEO or president about that. What if I tell you that my manager is doing something illegal? No. So the ombuds, the only place where ombuds break confidentiality and they tell the visitor this every time a visitor comes is if there's a threat of serious bodily injury to somebody. That is the only time. The only exception to that I I know of is I do know that Coca-Cola, because I I took my ombuds course in grad school from one of Coca-Cola's old ombuds, and they had a rule that if there was anything about the recipe getting out, um, oh. <laughs> that they had to, they had to break confidentiality. So that that's a special Coca-Cola rule. But the that's really funny. Say, yeah, that's pretty good. Yes, yes, it's pretty important stuff. <laughs> yeah, apparently, so you have to make a special rule for it. <laughs> yes, but so as part of like kind of the ombuds ethics, they had to say that the moment that the visitor walked in those two things bodily harm or, or you're going to somehow um, threaten the security of the recipe. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty funny. All right. Yeah. So, so let's talk about um, some of the conflict of interest problems. And you and I have talked about this, this, there's this kind of inherent conflict of interest with HR people. They're employed by the company, they're company employees, and really their responsibility is to protect the uh, company, especially from litigation, but also from other bad things that might be happening that the employees are driving. And so the, the employee really doesn't have anybody they can turn to who is really on their side. And that's why I was so intrigued by this idea of the ombuds. But I wanted to get into the weeds a little bit with you about HR, because I know a lot of HR people think that it that, that conflict of interest is bridgeable. And what, what are your views about that? They're probably pretty biased, but <laughs> but um, after doing the work I do, but I do I, I don't think it is bridgeable because as we just talked about, HR is a notice office. And um, I can tell you, and I feel like I can say this actually from a pretty um, knowledgeable spot because I do a lot of employment mediations and I I can just see the tone that changes um, with HR when there is concern and they're, they're put on notice if there's a sexual harassment claim or any other claim. The tone is not problem solving. The tone is protecting of the corporation. It's understandable that that's its tone. It really, you know, one of the things HR does is is try and help with mitigate risks. And so I just don't see how that's a bridgeable gap. As a mediator, it just there's just it it just smacks of of conflict of interest to me. I, I know a lot of great HR people. I know they really care about their people. But when push comes to shove, when you're an office that is going to be, um, you, you're put on notice for the company, how can, you, how can you be neutral? I just don't think it's possible. What's interesting to me about that is that employees know that. You know, in their bones, they know that going to HR is not 
that they should be suspicious of HR and, and they are. And then that breaks my heart because then there's nobody for an employee to go to when they have a problem. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And so they're really left. And I think with all the things that have come out in the last few years with the Me Too movement, there's just so many places where people weren't able to speak up about problems because they knew that there would be retaliation and a lot of issues. So it it is heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. If the ombudsman is paid by the company, does that introduce some level of conflict of interest? Like is the ombudsman, ombuds office, uh, do, do they feel kind of beholden to the company and does that cause problems? I look at it the same way as a mediator. Um, often as mediators, we end up getting paid. You know, you'll, a lot of times in employment cases, we do end up getting paid by the employer. Um, but it's such a big piece of our ethics, that neutrality, that it does not affect how the mediator performs. And most people who end up in ombuds offices are trained mediators. And so it is just part of, if you have a, a well set up ombuds office, you're really going to have that confidentiality and an ombuds should be um, able to navigate the company with, with that confidentiality. So there's not an expectation. If, if a president or CEO was behind the idea of an ombuds office enough. They kind of understand that for it to be valuable, it has to be a safe space. Otherwise, they're not going to learn about these issues that are causing problems in their company and they're not going to get resolved. So I I think it doesn't have the same level of risk that HR does. And I I think over time, it's borne out that it, it does really work where um, ombuds, you know, really do provide that safe space and don't feel a conflict of interest when um, there's things that come up that aren't favorable to the company because they can't be called as a witness on either side. So I think mm. that's important to know too. So that in part of part of the role, um, there's kind of four tenets of an ombuds, and one of them is it's informal. They're not allowed to get involved in any investigations, any court cases, no formal proceedings. They have to back totally out. So it really um, kind of prevents that fear of conflict of interest of being a problem because they can't really get pulled into any of those, those legal battles. How does the HR department interact with the ombuds? Um, so, you know, I, I, I think there are different ways for them to interact. A lot of companies, if they have a, a, a dispute resolution system kind of in place, so kind of a step system where if something happens, uh, you have open door and then it, maybe the next step is going to the ombuds and then maybe the next step is mediation. So those types of things, the ombuds really can be kind of um, take maybe one of the roles that HR plays in some companies off their plate, where employees with problems really are going first to the ombuds. That's really the best way for it to be is really those kind of problems between employees or between 
um, manager and employee go first to the ombud. So I think in my experience, what that most HR folks really love that because those are generally, generally the, the things they love to deal with anyway. So in my experience, HR really likes the ombuds because it takes those tricky issues. Cause as you and I just touched on before, I think most people who are I'm attracted to HR really do care about people and they like to think that they can be helpful. But a lot of times they get into those situations and their hands are kind of tied or they have to report. And so they, in my experience, they really like having an ombuds office because um, those problems can go there and get dealt with informally. I did a podcast last year about the trouble with HR, where I talked about all these problems about how people don't want to go see them. And also that HR isn't sitting in their office just waiting for you to walk in with a problem. I guess <laughs> that's actually not how they spend their day. <laughs> no, they got a lot of other things to worry about. So yeah, I, I don't think they mind that this one gets taken off their plate. I can see it both ways. Like some HR people might think, well, fooey, you know, I, I like that part of my job because I, I like like people and like having people come to me. But I can imagine a lot of HR people being like, whoosh, get rid of that thing. <laughs> get rid of it. Yeah. And, and they still do. I mean, if you think about it, they still do have a big role. You know, if you look at with performance and reviews and um, performance improvement plans, I mean, they still do those types of things, right? But it's really kind of those subtle conflict issues that really can crash productivity in a company. It's really that piece that can get taken off their plate. Well, and that is exactly the piece that from my experience and and talking to so many people about work as I do, that is often the piece that makes you hate your job. And so that is is really, really critical, really critical. Yeah, Yeah, when you look at the stats of how many hours people spend on conflict a week in the workplace, it really is critical. Yeah, I think it would make a a huge difference in in people's work lives if we could fix some of those problems. So one thing I'm observing is that companies are turning to third-party HR companies a lot. And that bothers me. Not so much for like the payroll type things or all the reporting that they have to do now and all the statistics and all that, but really exactly for this piece then of, well, who's looking out for the culture? Who's taking care of the people? So how does, how does an ombuds uh, work when you have that kind of uh, third-party HR? Well, I can't imagine, and I, I don't know for sure, Jennifer, but I can't imagine if if a company has a third-party HR, I can't imagine that they have an in-house ombuds because to me, that having a third-party HR kind of smacks of you know, our people maybe aren't our number one priority, which I think really to have an ombuds office, you know, they really are a company that gets that. So I would be sh- kind of shocked if there's companies that exist that have third-party HR and, and then an internal ombuds office. To me, I think that would be strange to see that. I could be wrong. I just, I mean, I love the idea of contract ombuds growing. I think that makes complete sense. And I think you and I have talked about before, kind of the sweet spot for that are these companies 
that might on first blush, they're too, they're too small to have a, a really formal HR department, but big enough that they have lots of problems. Right. <laughs> so especially, especially thinking of companies that are maybe founder presidents or CEOs, mm-hmm. you know, that really don't want to deal with these issues. Those companies are the ones that might be the first to reach out for third party HR. And I think a much better task would be to have a contract ombuds and then train your office administrator, you know, in some of those HR procedures or hire a company to do that as well. Just just the piece of really, really more, you know, the benefits and those types of things. That that piece of HR and leave the really dealing with the culture and the human part to contract ombuds. Yeah, that seems to me like that could work. Like you outsource quite a bit of your HR work, sort of the typical uh, nuts and bolts of HR, but that you have a contract ombudsperson. It seems to me that that kind of answers two problems. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do see it that way. And I have a company I work with here in Pittsburgh that that's exactly what they've done. And it works out really well. And um, I've been working with them for about, I guess it's about seven years now. And so I've been there long enough that I understand the culture and they see me. And it's really been a huge benefit, I think, to the company because the president, when I first went in there, he was just overwhelmed with dealing with all the conflict. And now he really doesn't know. And, you know, twice a year, I'll report to him about things he might think need to think about. And most of the things tend to be maybe a policy he put in place that he didn't know how it was going to affect the people. And I'm getting calls about how it is affecting the people and causing problems. And so then he can make a very small little minor adjustment and that's it. And he didn't have to have, you know, 20 people coming into his office complaining about it. He didn't have to deal with that headache. So I think he loves it. It's it's clear to his plate to deal with more big vision things instead of the minutia of people. I love that story. So what kinds of problems are typically brought to an ombuds office? I, I think there are a lot of manager, employee kind of um, issues with expectations. A lot of times, you know, a lot of times the things that I get called about are just kind of unclear, you know, expectations and poor communication that are pretty easily addressed. Hmm. But I can tell you from the other end, dealing with them later on down the line, um, when I do work as a mediator in an employment case, so many of my employment cases are a little issue with an employee that wasn't handled well for years and years and years. And maybe it was that little thing on their review um, that the employer thought that they explained really well, but the employee didn't hear it because it was covered in all um, these good things that they were doing. And so a lot of times, you know, the work that I'm doing is really communication work, right? Getting a manager to talk to an employee in a very, you know, much more direct way. I'm getting an employee be, to be able to express concerns um, in a more direct way. So a lot of times it's just as simple as that. The other thing is uh, subtle issue, you know, subtle behavior issues that make people uncomfortable that don't rise to the level really of 
of sexual harassment, but just, you know, whether it's humor or, um, you know, things like boundary issues, like texting after work or those types of things where it's not, you know, it certainly wouldn't rise to the level of harassment, even if they took it to HR, but it's causing problems. And so even those kind of little subtle things and whether it's talking to managers about those things or empowering employees about how to have those conversations with their managers. It can be that policies are a big thing. Uh, I think a lot of times policies are put in place that cause employees a lot of problems when they're actually implemented, Mm -hmm. that managers put in place and didn't didn't really know how it would feel when it was in place. And so um, when new policies come in place or kind of poorly um, managed, you know, no, no good change management. Um, that's another big one when changes come into place and um, managers kind of don't explain them, didn't engage the employees around the change. Um, when there's big changes that get put in place, I'm probably going to get a lot of calls from the ombuds office. <laughs> so that those are that. so. So most of them, I have to say, are pr- pretty easy to deal with at the level that they come into the ombuds office. That's the majority of them. But you can see, especially kind of how I do work at both ends, there are things that if you don't deal with them directly at the beginning, that they're going to turn into bigger problems at the other end if the employee did not have a place to, to voice their concerns. Yeah, I definitely saw that in my experience. And this is, again, where I just think this kind of role is is so would be so useful because I would see that a lot, like a change is made and, you know, a week later you discover that it's had this horrendous impact in the warehouse and the warehouse guys can tell you straight to your face how stupid this thing is that was put in place. And no one asked them about it ahead of time. I mean, a lot of times employees have really important and useful things to say about what's happening inside the company and to lose that, you know, and to, for them not to have a place where they can go point out some stupid impact that some new change has, has had. I remember once we changed the travel expense reimburse, reimbursement forms and unknowingly, we just didn't realize that it was going to have this a terrible effect on our salespeople and the way that they did business. And again, you know, it took us a couple of weeks before I finally listened to somebody who came and said, this is stupid. You Look what you've done. This is horrible. It's creating mountains more work for us. And so I just, I just think this kind of role is so important. Yeah, it really allows for upward feedback, right? Which is hard to get. Honest upward feedback is really hard for a CEO or president to get because people are scared to give it. And so that kind of stuff keeps happening where you see um, management that doesn't try to engage employees around change or decisions. You know, you as the ombuds can kind of help um, the culture with that upward feedback of if you see this happening again and again, you know, you can have the ear of the president or CEO to talk to them about trying to engage employees around change before you implement it and get their ideas. And it doesn't mean you have to take them, but um, just trying to engage them in the process and think things through, or maybe, maybe do a little pilot with a change you're going to do, try it out, 
So this kind of upward feedback, I, I do think that's another huge benefit of the ombuds office. Do I don't know if you've had any experience with this, but how, how do labor unions react to ombuds? Are they generally in favor of that role or do they not like having a more direct uh, communication pathway? Yeah, so, you know, I personally have not had any experience um, with the union and in one of my ombuds roles, but what would, you know, and just in thinking it through, really anything that's under the contract would really be, you know, more defined how it's dealt with. It would probably go with HR. So really the ombuds would give them a place to deal with things outside of the contract, you know, smaller issues. So I can't see that it would be a problem because the great thing about the ombuds office is you only have to use it if you want to, right? There's no requirement to go there. So they're really nothing but helpful. I mean, that's, you know, if, if you don't want to use them, fine, but they're really nothing but helpful. You know, I can't, I really can't think of too many times where the ombuds office gets controversial. I mean, they really should, should never be controversial if they're doing their jobs right, because it's informal, it's, it's neutral. So it really, um, it shouldn't be a controversial thing ever if it's being run well and they're doing their jobs right. I can imagine some of my listeners are out there going, yes, we want this. So do you have any, <laughs> do you have any suggestions for employees about how they could encourage their company to employ an ombuds? Uh, well, the International Organization of Ombuds, they do have, um, our, it's a IOA, International Ombuds Association, I'm sorry. They have a lot of great resources um, on their website. It's a great website and a great organization. They have a lot of great resources, including um, a couple of great articles about how to sell the idea of an ombuds office. Oh, I see. Because it is, yeah. So I think because it is something, it, it's a little bit how mediation was when mediation started, where it was a hard sell, you know, having been a mediator for a long time, you know, it was, a little bit of like, oh, what is this very informal hocus pocus? You know, how can this work? And then over time, now it's, you know, the predominant dispute resolution method. Ombuds is a little bit of the same thing. You know, corporations, a lot of corporations and businesses are so used to the traditional just HR that this is something new. So I think uh, what's nice is um, the association has figured it out that sometimes it can be a hard thing to explain to people. Um, so they do have some good articles um, that employees could use. And I, as always, the cost savings important. And, and I do think that upward feedback too. I think that's, you know, one of the other things I do in my work, I think, you know, is I go in and do culture assessments and it's kind of the same thing as the ombuds is where, you know, managers and higher up executives a lot of times they don't know what their employees are thinking, right? They don't get to see trends. They don't know. And that's a beauty of the ombuds office is you're getting a lot of information from it. You're, you're finding out about things long before um, their litigation or huge problems. And so 
you know, I, th- I think, you know, it really allows managers and execs to do a much better job leading their company because they're getting honest upward feedback, which is so valuable, which I think most don't have. Yeah, we've talked before, and it's one of the reasons I really like your story coming from law, employment law, and uh, divorce work, all the way up now through mediation and and ombuds work, because I think it's such an uh, it's such a visible progression from how our legal system has sometimes failed us when it comes to work. And so I, I just, I, I always really enjoy talking to you um, because of that. Yeah, well, well, thank you. It's, um, there, there is a lot of hope out there. You know, I do see it becoming in the workplace, this idea, even, even just the idea of companies getting better with conflict skills, you know, that, that wasn't the case 20 years ago. I don't think it was thought of that way. So I do see positive changes. And when you go actually California, where you are, Jennifer, there are a lot of companies, a lot of health systems have ombuds offices. And um, so it's really a pleasant change to see that happening. And um, I'm hopeful that it will continue. It will be great someday when an ombuds office is just as um, common as an HR office. Yeah, I'd I'd really love to see that. And as you were saying, it's not just that you're avoiding these tremendous costs that are affiliated with litigation, which a lot of times unmitigated conflict does end up there, but also just turnover or also just unhappiness at work. And also what I see a lot of is just people spending hours and hours of their time complaining about work. You know, it's just such an unhappy situation when you see people who are tormented by something at work that could really be resolved fairly easily. And instead it just festers and carries on. Yeah. It's just giving it a space to have a different type of conversation. I mean, that's really what mediation is, right? It's a space to have just a more elevated conversation that's focused on problem solving. And the ombuds office does the same thing in an organization where it really gives time and space to have a a different kind of conversation that not only resolves issues, but might change the tone of the culture. Yeah, I think it could have a big impact. I don't know if you have it handy, but I know we've talked before about the mediation (laughs) pledge, and I've actually never heard it. Do do you have it handy? Can you read it to us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, I actually call it the conflict pledge. And I wrote this down just in our current political climate. One of the things that shocked me is just even people I know who are so committed, even whether they're mediators or committed to try and have problem solving conversations. I've just been really taken aback how I see all of us when we get passionate about things really turn from problem-solving conversations to um, more identity attacking. And I wrote down this pledge. It was after the shootings that took here in um, Tree of Life um, here in Pittsburgh. And I thought, you know, this is just, people have to be mindful of words. 
And so I, I wrote down this pledge that I, that I really, um, I try and get everybody who comes into my space to, to sign it. So here it is. In response to the increase in hate crimes and an acknowledgement that the words we use matter, I pledge to do my part by taking ownership of how I approach conflict by, first, refraining from using dehumanizing language or graphics ever when referencing people, politicians, and groups I disagree with, no matter how strongly I disagree. This pledge applies to all communications, including discussions, posts, tweets, demonstrations, or any other form of communication. Second, I will refrain from supporting or reposting, retweeting humor that uses dehumanizing language or graphics. Three, I will discuss problems, not attack people, no matter how strongly I disagree with them. And that's it. And it's just really trying to get people being mindful of when, you know, they get that, what they think is a very funny comic, passing it on, you know, when it, it shows, you know, there, there was, uh, I was most disappointed. There's a organization. I won't name the organization, but it actually has peace in the title. It's a big peace organization. And they were having a protest about immigration policy. Fine. That's totally fine. Totally fine to disagree with the policy. Um, that's talking about a problem to try and solve. But they posted on their Instagram account this picture of Trump as Humpty Dumpty and like them pushing him off the wall. And, you know, that is not helpful. It's not helpful. It's not going to get anybody to hear what they have to say, who's on the other side of the issue. It just, that kind of humor back and forth. Uh, it might make us feel better at the time, but it's not pushing the issues forward. And so I just think it's really important that if we want to move the needle forward on some of these issues, that we've got to say things in ways that people people can hear us. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing that. And I think you and I joked a couple of years ago, and probably even more so now, that we need like a hundred million times more mediators than we used to. <laughs> but I think that the third one there about discuss problems, not people, I think that's a kind of good takeaway. The irony of this is, well, especially with your peace organization, <laughs> good grief. But I do see this a lot on social media is that people, once they feel as though they have the forces of right behind them, they really yeah. Yeah, can, can become very aggressive and, and very mean. And occasionally somebody on Twitter will kind of point out, wow, that was a super mean thing that you just said about a fellow human, you know, whether it's, oh, I hope his wife dies or, you know, some just really kind of shocking yeah. thing to say that yeah. about another human. And it always does kind of pull you back into reality. Like, yeah, you just hope that that person's wife dies? I mean, what? <laughs> what yeah, what place, got you to that right. place? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And it goes, it goes pretty fast there now um, with technology. And it's, it, it really is scary, you know, and trying to get people to understand that words really are powerful. That's where, that's where all, you know, the, of these um, genocides start with words first. So got to be very careful. 
Well, thank you very much for your message today. And before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners, your website or where they can follow your work or anything you'd like to share? Yeah, yeah. So you can follow my work. Um, My website is theconflictlab.com and I have a blog there. And uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn just at Selena Schultz. And um, yeah, love, love to talk to any of your listeners. So thank you for the opportunity, Jennifer. Oh, thanks very much for coming back on the show and for the work that you do. Thank you. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-E, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.